Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, worthy to be praised, I worship you. Hello everybody, I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylock. Welcome to another amazing episode of 20 Minute Bible Studies. Today, we want to discuss a building block of the epinosis, or higher knowledge about the kingdom. When our founder, the late Pastor Gary Whipple, first wrote about this in the 1970s, he called it the three rests. Let's listen now to the Word of God. Two readings, one from the Gospel of Matthew and one from the book of Hebrews. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, turning to Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. That was Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, and Hebrews 4, verses 9 through 11. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. First, let's use the space method. SPACE is an acronym that reminds us to consider the SP, speaker, A, audience, and C, context, of a Bible reading before attempting an E, explanation. In our Matthew reading, the speaker is Jesus and the audience is the crowds. We see that in Matthew 11, verse 7. The context is Jesus' frustration with unrepentant Jewish cities. We see this in Matthew eleven twenty four when we read, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for those cities that he mentions. Question, Jordan. Why is the audience and context so important for our lessons? Well, keeping them in mind is a good way to avoid getting confused about salvation um, and the difference between faith and works, Andy. You know, we tend to read these stories of Jesus as if they were directed toward a modern audience of unsaved people. And we tend to think like Jesus came to a lost world and taught them about God and salvation for the first time, but that isn't really what happened. You know, his message was exclusively to the Jews, and they knew all about God. They knew all about salvation, too, and they even really knew all about Jesus. Yeah, so they were actually waiting for the Messiah. They looked forward to a Messiah, and we, when you study your Old Testament, you'll see that, that the Israelites, the Jews from generation to generation, had their hope and faith looking forward to the coming of their Messiah that would come from heaven and that would save their people. So Jordan, all they had to do was believe that Jesus was who he said he was, the promised one, and then take action by repenting and being baptized. They had to exhibit both faith and works to get it right with God, which is 
very different than the process of salvation that we know of today for a modern person. In the Hebrews reading, the speaker is unknown and the audience is Hebrew Christians. So both the Old Covenant, that is salvation by works like you just mentioned, and the New Covenant, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, are both relevant. As for the context, it's sort of a mini-treatise, if you will, on what my Bible titles The Believer's Rest. So Andy, what's the main point of that treatise? First, Jordan, that believers must recognize that we have the promise of entering God's rest. Now, when God's rest is evoked, the author connects it to the seventh day of creation and then eventually the promised land. There is a connection there. Right. Now, by studying these types or foreshadows, the spiritually wise Christian will see that this is actually speaking of the future. It's a 1,000-year kingdom of Jesus Christ, and it's spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. But without getting into that, what we want to see from our context analysis is what's in verse 1 of Hebrews 4. Yeah, to paraphrase it, believers need to fear and be diligent about not falling short of God's rest. That's the main point and the key context for our study today. So now that we've considered the speaker audience and context of our passages, we're ready to get into this explanation, which is the meat of our lesson. The three rests that we're going to study today each represent a key aspect of salvation. The first two rests are in our Matthew reading. Number one is in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, which reads, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Number two is in the verse that follows, Matthew eleven twenty-nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So let's compare and contrast these two rests, Andy. Sure, Jordan. So the first rest is given, and the second is found. Very important to remember that. One is given, and the next one is found. The first rest is gained by an invitation to come, and then the second by a command to take. The first rest affects the heart of the individual, and the second rest is speaking of the soul. It affects the soul of the individual. The first rest is from works, that have already been completed, because we see there it says, all who are weary and heavy laden. And then the second rest is so that works may be completed, speaking of a future time or, or an existing time when, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Right. As for the third rest, that's in our Hebrews reading, Hebrews 4.11, which says, therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall. That rest refers back to God's rest, which is earlier in that passage. And you know, using our spiritual wisdom, we understand this is speaking of a type of rest that no Christian has gained yet a future rest. So it's another promise of the kingdom for all who do the hard work of following God's will. So at this point, Andy, we should kind of revisit a few key points about works. Maybe you can uh, go through that really quickly. Yeah, of course. So we know that the gift of eternal life is through faith. That is not of works. The gift is free. It's not of works. But the prize of reward, for example, when winning a crown and ruling and reigning with Christ in his coming kingdom, his future kingdom, is through works. And it's driven by faith. Faith is the fuel that pushes us to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, that means it is possible to be denied Christ's coming kingdom, particularly the glorious inheritance of being chosen to rule and reign with him. So in other words, as Pastor Whipple put it, we may end up, quote unquote, subjects rather than sovereigns. And if we fail to produce good works, 
if we fail to do proper labor for God, this might be something that we, we hope we don't hear, but some people might. Yeah, you know, Andy, it's a strange type of labor. You know, to see how to do this labor, we have to look at the second rest once again. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. So let's break that down. First of all, what's a yoke? Well, a yoke is a wooden harness that's put over the heads of two oxen for the purpose of yoking them together. They're sharing, actually, as partners and pulling a load, right? So, so what's Christ's yoke then? Well, in, in a similar, you know, imagine in, in the type here, because that's what the Lord was giving us was a type. Christ's yoke is the symbol of service. And it's also designed for two people to yoke together for the purpose of laboring together. And in Jesus's yoke, the two laborers are actually himself or right now the Holy Spirit that lives in us, which is part of the Godhead, God the Spirit, and the individual Christian, me, you, and whoever's saved right now who's reading this, uh, this particular verse with us. And it's together they carry that burden. It's God's burden of being, having, you know, trying to survive in this sinful world. You know, and it's, you're pulling a load. It's not easy, but the burden is actually the work that God puts on the back of our truck, right? right? So the burden is God giving you a calling. It's your ministry. It's your job. Whether you're a husband that's married to a woman that is maybe not as spiritual as you, and, you know, just giving an example, the kids might be out of line and and you're strong in the word, and you're strong in your faith, and sometimes when the world just rips you apart, you just want to give up. What God is trying to teach us here, for your soul to be saved, never give up, because one day in the future, we want to enter that rest that is spoken of in Hebrews, that if we continue to remember we're not alone, the Holy Spirit is yoked with us, and he's helping us pull that burden, that weight that God allows in our life. And the Bible does teach, Paul does teach this. He says that he's only going to give you as much as you could handle, right? So believe it or not, God is the one who's handling most of the work. We just need to have faith and trust that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. Yeah, and to reinforce what you're saying and to understand what Jesus is trying to tell us here, notice he says, take my yoke and learn from me. So the reality is there's no self-effort there. You know, he wants us to be a conduit for his work. It's like he already has the yoke on, he's already doing the work, and you're just kind of coming alongside and, and sort of, you know, strapping into it. You know, he wants us to be a conduit for his power to pass through to the world. So really, th- this strange type of labor involves surrendering. Yeah, I like that. You know, not, not, not actually trying to do self-effort. Self-power comes from the old self, the sinful self. We must learn from him and surrender to the new self. That's the Holy Spirit that you mentioned within us, the power of Christ within us. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'd like to read something here. Uh, I'd like to quote Pastor Whipple, but before I do read that, you know, another way I think by you, you, you struck a nerve with me when you mentioned being, you know, just humble and submitting is the pride of life. The pride of life is, is when you look around, we, we're Christians, we know internally from when we wake up in the morning and we say our prayers and we read our, our Bible, the direction we need to go. The Holy Spirit says, you're going to do your job today and just be prepared because in season and out of season because I'm going to use you. And then we look around and we, we notice that we're surrounded by people that are not like us. Right. And then the pride of life kicks in. And that's when we start, you know, and this is what slows us down. We start murmuring and complaining and thinking, man, he's got it so easy. She's got it so easy. You know, it's not fair to me. It, it, this is not right. I've got to do something here. 
I've got to push harder. And, and I think that's what happens is we, we start to want to work harder than we should, pulling the yoke. See, God is with us the whole time. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they see everything. Let me tell you, everybody listening, God knows everything you're going through, every struggle, every difficult situation. There's a purpose behind it. There is an amazing reward that the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So you submitting and you trusting God to carry the yoke for you, just walk with him, is a sign to God that you have faith in him, that you trust him to be in control. And I promise you, according to scripture, the reward is going to be so worth it, so worth it. So I, I wanted to just mention that, and I'm going to quote something here from Pastor Whipple from one of his books, and it reads, this again can only be illustrated by the picture of two oxen laboring together in the same yoke. Here they are both harnessed together to the same burden, yet the power to move the burdens comes only from one. It is the same in their movements. One does the stopping, the other starting and turning. The other follows so precisely that both oxen appear as one. This serves to teach us that the two partners in Christian service really are one, even as the head, who is Christ, and the body, which is us, the church, are one complete body, yet only one partner supplies the power. Now, if Jesus and, and Christ is the head, that's where the brains come from, right? So we need to trust our brain to lead our body where it wants to go. Yeah, and, and um, so everything you're saying leads you to think about, well, how can I know that I'm properly yielded? You know, sin is so subtle and so pernicious, and we can fall into these patterns. So, you know, the question arises, like, how do I know that I'm achieving the goal of properly yielding myself and allowing myself to be a good conduit for Christ to work through me? And I think the answer is, you know, in one of the things that Jesus said, he said, I am gentle and humble. So that's a good gauge. The more surrendered you are, the more humble and gentle you will be. And if you need more than that, you can look in, for example, Galatians 5, which talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And that's really the fruits of the truly yielded believer, believer, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, again, and self-control. Amen. So returning to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, and the third rest that we mentioned earlier, the author writes, let us be diligent to enter that rest. And that's the NASB. Now in the King James Version, it reads, let us labor to enter into that rest. The Greek word spudazo means to exert oneself. So we are clearly talking about works again here. Now this rest can be looked at as the goal of those who entered the previous rest, the second rest. And it's kind of what I was leading to earlier. Yeah, again, as mentioned, it's realized in the form of rulership in the millennial kingdom. And that's the goal of the apostle. And that's the goal the apostle Paul spoke of in 2 Timothy just before his execution. You know, I'm going to turn there now and read a little bit to you. 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8 say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So notice there that Paul had to labor, fight, run a course, keep the faith in order to enter into that rest. Yeah, also notice the proof of his entering will be a Stephanos, Stephanos crown that is reserved for him in heaven. It's waiting for him there. 
So literally in the Greek, it's a laurel. It's the, the thing a competitor in the Olympics receive, sort of like an ancient version of a gold medal. And this is what Paul was trying to compare it to, this Stephanos crown. So, you know, he says that this crown was earned by works and it wasn't given by grace. Again, that's because only initial salvation is a gift, but such prizes that Paul is describing must be earned. And Paul also says that this crown is reserved until that day, by which means the day of the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking about a future time when the Lord Jesus Christ will give out the rewards according to everyone's works. And, and, and this is when our works will be tested. Okay, Jordan, so here's a popular question that I've heard and I'd like to ask you. How do we win our laurels and enter into this third rest? Well, Andy, it's the same way as before. We have to labor and doing that strange labor that we talked about that involves yielding. You know, we must remember that the labor is really the labor of the Holy Spirit moving through our surrendered body. I mean, isn't that odd? Our work is actually to rest. It's, it's a, it's a, it seems like a paradox, and it sounds like a contradiction, but you have to use your spiritual wisdom to understand it. Remember, like two oxen yoked together, we only move in the spiritual sense because God is moving within us. Our Christian walk is actually God carrying us along. And so this second rest is how we get to the third rest, God's rest, which is the kingdom. You know, Jordan, I actually clearly see how that is work. Our nature tells us that we need to solve the problem. You know, our earthly nature, you know, tells us that I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough as a Christian. I've been through a lot of things. I'm weathered. And I, I know what it's going to take to, to make this problem go away. What is hard to do is sitting back, going to your Bible, praying, and resting in the fact that Jesus Christ is in control. Right. That, to me, is a nightmare. <laughs> it's probably one of the hardest things in my life to do is to sit back and 100% have faith and submit to God that he's in control. So in a sense, to the world, you know, it, it's a rest and it's, it's not doing much but allowing the Holy Spirit to take the lead. So, but as a Christian, I know to me, it's the hardest thing I could do. Doing nothing oftentimes is probably the hardest thing to do. And I think that's the message here that God is trying to tell all our listeners is that we all are constantly getting tested and going through the ringer and we're, we're batting our head against the wall, looking for the answer in the Bible, in prayer, in our churches, when really the whole time what God is trying to say is that I know what you're going through. I'm yoked with you. I'm here. I'm right next to you. Again, I said earlier, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And he's not a man that he should lie. He knows our thoughts. Before we even say anything, he knows what we're going to say. We just need to understand who he is, that he loves us and that he's in control. And I, I truly believe that submitting and waiting upon the Lord, being still, is probably the hardest work of all. Yeah, because it goes back to that, that nature of humility and gentleness, which is so alien to our nature. We, we always yeah. think we have to add something, you know, and God is saying, no, it, we, I did it all. You know, my son did it all. So, so stop trying to add to it. Stop trying to put your, insinuate yourself into it. Mm -hmm. Your only job is to just, you know, turn it all off and, and let these things happen through, through the power of the Holy Spirit. At the same time, the reason why it seems like a, a contradiction and a paradox you can't just fold your arm and say, uh, you know, say I'm saved by grace through faith and I don't have to do anything because God definitely wants you to do things. He wants you to produce fruit. Sure. The question is, how do, how do you do that? You do it by yielding, which again, seems like a paradox. You know, you, you bring up a huge point 
And I know we're short on time, but I will say this. We are to be yoked with Jesus Christ, yoked with the Holy Spirit. So that means we need to get in line. We need to be next to Jesus. We need to be strapped in and we need to be walking in the same direction as him. He'll carry the brunt of the work. He'll lead us and guide us, but we need to be next to him. So I believe the typology there, God is trying to teach us going through the struggle. And you're right. You're absolutely right. We need to be humble and trust and and not allow our own self-works, you know, hold back what God is trying to do. However, we need to be next to the Lord in prayer, constantly in prayer. We need to be in the word. We need to be in the right place at the right time. We need to be in church. We need to be focused on doing the godly thing. Just continue doing what you're doing. I think where the mistake happens is when we feel that, you know, we need to worry and we need to now figure out, you know, we need to solve this problem. And really, whatever happens in the end is all God's will anyway, and it all happens for our good. So the key, I think, that for all of us here, you're, you are correct. It's, it's not just, you know, sitting back and doing nothing. But we do still have to be, you know, have our boots strapped in, ready to go when God leads us. We need to be strong in the word, strong in prayer, and, and continually not forsaking the gathering of one another by being part of a church. Yeah, so by way of recap, um, to summarize today's lesson, Pastor Whipple did a, did a really good job when he um, wrote about this in the 70s again. He wrote, the first rest represents justification, which is the new birth. The second is sanctification, which is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the third represents glorification to its fullest extreme, which is reward or entrance into the kingdom. So justification, sanctification, glorification, those are the three phases of salvation. Andy, how do we progress through these phases? Well, Jordan, you know, we are a trichotomy, right? We're, we're made in three parts, just like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, there's three parts. We're made in His image. So yeah, we're, we're body, soul, and spirit. And as we've studied before, we're a trinity of mind, body, and spirit. So the mind is where our sin nature lives. The spirit is where our God nature lives. And which one we allow to control our body is what determines the outcome of our life. So if we decide to let the spirit have control, then we'll produce works that are pleasing to God. However, if we decide to walk after the flesh and listen to what our own nature tells us, then we'll produce works that are sinful in the sight of God. Yeah, and letting the Spirit take control seems difficult, but again, we can learn from Jesus how to do it. For example, in Luke 14, verses 25 to 35, our Lord tells us his price, the price. He says, first, our love for him must far surpass our love for anyone else, including the members of our own family and and even ourselves in that verse. And then second, he says, we must willingly carry our own cross, whatever that may be, which is, you know, in metaphor the instrument of the execution of our flesh, so that we may die to the world in order to live for Christ. And third, he says, we must forsake all material things. We cannot put them first, and by doing so, make them our actual God above the God. Yeah, Jordan, that's, that's tough, and many of you are no doubt thinking, I'm definitely going to fail repeatedly. Well, two things to keep in mind. One, all things are possible with God, and that is for sure. He is the power in all this. It's not us. It's not me. It's not you. And then secondly, remember 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. Every time we fail, he'll forgive us and he'll cleanse us. That's the process. That's the struggle. That's our Christian walk. And that is our lesson. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.